Hello! We are now recording. I am Jonathan Dixon. I'm here with Grandma Arta Jean Christensen. Say hello, Grandma. Hello, Grandma. We're here on the My Family Her Story podcast, and it is November 10th of 2021. Our goal here is to preserve in podcast form stories and memories for future generations and to have a good time. Today, we are talking about the 70s, your life in the 70s and your family, uh, changes in the world, all things groovy in 70s. <laughs> so, Grandma, just as a refresher, at this point in 1970, do you remember uh, how many kids you had and how about how old they were? Well, in the 70s, we had, we already had most of our children. The only one that was born, that was actually born in the 70s was Ruth, the the last one. But this was an interesting time in, in our family dynamics because um, we had, we had these teenagers in high school and um Rosanna um came to live with us and she she was a Navajo girl from New Mexico and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was sponsoring um young kids to come uh Indian children to come from the from the reservations and get an education and so they came uh, many came and Rosanna came to us many came and they would come uh, and spend the school year with with families um, throughout Utah mostly I guess I don't know where else but then they would uh, then they would return home for the summer and uh, come back again in the fall. Some would come back, some wouldn't, but mostly they would come back in the fall and, and take another year of schooling. Was this high school or college? Uh, high school, uh, grade school and high school. Okay, okay. Elementary school and high school. Uh, and the idea was to help give give them a boost up to get to get them educated, which they weren't getting, the, there wasn't much in the way of schools for the for the Indian ki- children, and uh, so the idea was to help them get get a boost up, get educated, get some learning, and uh, be able to uh, have a better outcome in their lives because of that. And so we got we got Rosanna. And we enjoyed her a lot. She was, she was fun to have here, and applied herself well to her, to her uh, schooling, and uh, she kept coming back. So we had her uh, from around uh, somewhere around seventy-two, because she was here before Ruthie was born. So we got her somewhere around nineteen seventy-two, and. She stayed with us for four years throughout high school and then a couple of years of college as well. So um, we had her. And she was about the age of my mom, right? 
she was actually the she was actually the age of uh, she was a little younger than your mother but they were the two that hit it off together the best they really were good friends yeah my mom always describes rosanna as her her navajo sister yeah she's uh i remember just recently she was telling me a story and she paused and she went have you ever met my navajo sister rosanna and i was like probably (laughs) but not in a way that i remember so it's exciting for me to hear about it yeah well we we did we did enjoy um we did enjoy rosanna and um just to to finish off her her story uh, she uh, she got married um, around the time that Jean got married I can't remember exactly if it was exactly the same time but they had they David your your brother David firstborn and Rosanna's firstborn son were kind of a similar age, and uh, they both were named David, which I thought was interesting. Except that, except that Rosanna liked to call him in the, in the the language of either the Tongan version, which her husband was. Tongan and she was Navajo, which made an interesting co- combination. But um, they called they called David um, Davita, and uh, in just a, a, in a, in another language. But they, the, but it was essentially the same name. And then she had another one. She uh, another boy. She named Alexander, but she called him something like Alexandrissimo or something like that. I can't remember that part, but but uh, we always called him Alex. Anyway, um, that's all she was able to get was those two, those two boys. But they're all grown up now, and um, Alex has. A wife and children, and uh, David has a wife, but hasn't produced any children. So um, Rosanna has has three or four grandchildren, but not anything like what we've produced in the <laughs> way of grandchildren. <laughs> but well, anyway, there, Ros- there's a lot of us. <laughs> Rosanna still lives in Salt Lake City, and uh, we saw her last week. So just that, just to kind of fill in and what became of her, but she's, we still, we still claim her as a, as a sister and as a a member of the family and all of her, all of her uh, natural born people have passed on. So we're the only family she's got left now. Her, she had a mother her mother and her sister, but they both passed on a few years ago. And and uh, just this last week, I thought maybe we were going to lose her husband, but he had a, a very serious heart condition come on, and they had to do a eight 
to 10 hour surgery uh, on his heart, but he pulled through. The doctors weren't sure that he was going to make it, but he's in rehab right now and he's still alive and we're grateful for that. So anyway, that was just a, a fill-in to bring us up to date on on Rosanna, but the reason I was kind of emphasizing this is because we we had in high school we had those those four girls were uh, were all in high school together. Jean, Jolene, Rosanna, and Mary, Mary. Kay. Uh-huh. And uh, so I had I had those four girls, and then we had the two boys that were in the early teens, and the, uh, Martin and Evan. Martin, yeah, Martin and Evan, and Rachel, and Rachel was. Uh, That made that made six teenagers in the house at the same time, and I've always kind of sounds like the seventies were very <laughs> active and memorable in your place. <laughs> they they certainly were that, and and it was a it was a, a moving a, a group of people. They were they were energetic, active. And all those uh, emotions and feelings that were going on in the in the family at the same time, it was it was quite interesting. I I love to tell this part of the story. The the clothing that those kids wanted to wear to school, we had a a fad in which. They all wanted to wear bell-bottom trousers. Classic 70s. <laughs> <laughs> they all wanted to wear this. And I would go to what what was named the Army-Navy surplus store in, in Salt Lake. I would go uptown and I would buy six pairs of bell-bottom trousers and six shirts, t-shirts, or whatever kind of shirts the kids wanted to wear. I would buy six of them for each kid, and I had six teenagers. So 36? <laughs> 36 pairs of pants. You were clothing a small regiment. <laughs> I... I I think about that, but that would have that would happen at the beginning of school every year for the whole, whole time that they were in that they were in high school, and uh, get get some for my my three girls and two sons and for Rosanna and everybody wear those wore those denim bell bottom trousers and. And it was girl, the same the girls for the boys and, the boys and yeah, the boys and the girls wore the same ones. They all they all wore the they all wore the same thing, and it, to me, it was obnoxious. But they loved them, <laughs> <laughs> and 
and it made it simple. We didn't have to have a lot of decisions over what they were going to wear. They all wanted to wear the same thing. <laughs> I love that. Anyway, it was what kind, were some kind of, of the cute. More especially, like more special events and memories that you have of things that happened in the seventies in your family. Well, when the girls kind of kind of between. We didn't take Rosanna on this trip because she went home to Arizona, but in the summer we took our three girls and we went on a on a trip to Mexico. And that was quite a quite a thing to be uh, thrilled about because everybody was enjoying everybody enjoyed that little trip. But there was an interesting thing about I'll just I'll just start with this because the our girls the girls in our our three girls and the other girls in the the ward in our church group went they hung around with the a group of boys that were in the what was known as the third ward, and we were in the sixth ward, but they enjoyed the their associations together, and so these these girls in our ward and these boys in the third ward were kind of uh, very good friends, and one of them at least, Kaylin Watts from across the street, married. Uh, one of those boys and and uh, but at the time of it they'd kind of paired off and they they were they were just friends and so as these girls were growing up they they did they had a lot of special kinds of activities that they that they participated in and these boys were sort of their escorts and friends and they just were good friends together so that just to start it off that way well then as it, as these boys got a little older they they went on their missions and our girls wrote to them while they were in the mission field and things like that and they were getting up to the age where they could be could be pairing off and so on. So anyway, that's kind of background to what happened to us on this trip to Mexico. And uh, we took the girls as a kind of a graduation trip. I think it was between when Jeannie graduated and the other girls hadn't graduated yet, but I think maybe Jeannie had, as I re as I remember it right now. But Don and I and those three girls went. Well, Jeannie had been studying Spanish in school, in high school, and she uh, she could translate pretty well for us. And so some of the things that we did down there, why well, she translated for us and made it, it made it interesting and fun. But when we first got, we we went to Acapulco and we first got there and Don and I were sort of getting 
adjusted in the hotel room because we were going to be there for several days. And the girls wanted to go right down to the beach and get in the water, so they did. And they were doing that, and next thing we knew, Jolene appears back up in the in the hotel room. She says, Jeannie is hurt. She got right in the water, and it was a place where there was a heavy waves and a riptide, and they drove her directly into the to the side there where there were rocks and sand and and she, it she the waves drove her head first into all these rocks and she really was hurt she was injured quite quite badly and that was the very first thing that happened when we got there <laughs> within minutes of arri arriving at, at the hotel in Acapulco and so we um tried to clean her up a little bit but she was bleeding bleeding had cuts several places on her face and and we didn't know we thought she needed stitches and and her eyes were black and so we were looking trying to get a, a hold of a doctor and the hotel I don't know if he worked for the hotel or if he or if they called him in but he was the, he spoke perfect english and we were able to talk with him and he said well I'm going to have to take her to the hospital and and do some x-rays and things like that and then and then we probably got to stitch up these cuts on her around her mouth in particular that were she, I guess she'd run her teeth through her lips. <laughs> anyway, she was quite she was quite a bit of hurt, and he didn't want us. He said very plainly, "You, I will meet you at this hospital." And he told us where to go. But he said, "Don't let them do anything to her. <laughs> you wait to, for me. You make sure that." I, <laughs> I am the only one that does anything for her. And I got quite a chuckle out of that because uh, I guess he knew. Your translator was down and out. You, <laughs> you, uh, you, you needed to follow the specific instructions. Yeah, and he didn't, want, he didn't want us to have, he didn't want us to have any of those Mexican doctors working on her. Apparently he'd been educated Maybe in the United States, I don't even know that, but he he certainly did not want us to have any And was else. he from Mexico? He was. But but he his English was perfect. And so I just anyway, we took her to the hospital and we and she got patched up. But she was for the whole trip to Mexico she was a sight because her eyes were black, and she had these bruises all over her face, and she had stitches in in her face. For the rest of the trip, she she looks like she's been attacked. <laughs> so, anyway, going on with this little story, we got we dis, we wanted to go to in a, in a few days. We had left Acapulco, and we had gone over to. 
New Mexico City, and we wanted to see the ballet Folklorica, which is a which is kind of a national uh, tradition there, and they do they do all kinds of Mexican dances, very colorful, very beautiful, and we wanted to see it, but we hadn't made any arrangements ahead of time, and so Don said. But they, they'd already sold out all their tickets, so they couldn't accommodate us. But he said, I'll see if I can get some tickets. And he stood, he he just was scalping in the in front of the office, and he'd say, uh, tickets, tickets, you have any tickets? And there were people who were offering him tickets. And finally... He was happy. He came to us and he said, "I've got an, I've got tickets for all of us. That was four of us, three, three of our girls and or five of us, three of our girls and Don and me." And um, he says, "But they're sort of spread out all over the building. I couldn't get, I couldn't obviously get them together." And he said, "I've got tickets for." Mom and me down here on the on the main floor, and we're together. And then you girls are spread out. Some of you are on the main floor. And one of you has got to be clear up here on the third balcony. And Jeannie says, oh, I'll take that one. <laughs> and she always was accommodating in that way. She's just a wonderful girl. But she goes and takes the ticket back up to the third balcony and the other two girls are spread out somewhere and then Don and we, me are in, down on the main floor. And when the, what do you call it, when they, there's an interval between the... Intermission? <laughs> intermission, I'm sorry. I lose my words nowadays. If they ever come rushing back to me, it sure will be loud. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> anyway, at, at intermission, here comes Mary and Jolene, and they say, you will never guess what happened. <laughs> Jean, sitting all by herself up there in the third balcony, looks across the aisle, and there is her boyfriend from the third ward <laughs> in Mexico City, returning home from his mission. To Mexico? Is that where he was serving? No, he was serving in South America, and he was just He's traveling On his through. way back. He was on his way home, and he and a, another returning missionary went to the ballet that night and there they met Jean and look and see how Jean looked <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she was just so excited to see them after so long and be totally double black eyed and split lipped and stitched up <laughs> this is just one of those many things that you have a tendency to remember but we were all pretty happy to see these young men, and and Don invited them to 
have supper with us afterwards, and we took them out to a, pl a place somewhere and had had uh, dinner together, and we were kind of amazed at how hungry those <laughs> returning elders were. <laughs> but that's that's just a strange coincidental story that happened as part of that trip to Mexico. Another thing that I think is really funny, this is while we were still in Acapulco and it became Sunday and we all went to church, but we had Jeannie to translate for us. And so we get in, we get in this little branch meeting of our church and they they wanted to know, could any of us play the piano because they didn't have anybody in their, in their church, to play to accompany the hymns when they sang, in the meeting, and so Jeannie says, well, my mother can do that, and so. I thought, well, fine, what would they like to sing, <laughs> and, and they, so we're trying to translate between, but they. They didn't. Uh, they didn't have a request as to which song they wanted to sing, and so I just opened the hymn book, and I said, "I couldn't read it because it was in Spanish. I didn't know what hymn it was." <laughs> and so I said, "Well, let's try this," and I started to play it, and then immediately I could hear it when I started playing the notes. Then I knew what what him we were going to sing so we did and and we sang we sang that to him and then then when it came to the end of the meeting then they wanted to know what hymn I would like to play and here again the same problem I I didn't know so I so I just opened the hymn book again and happened to open to the same song. <laughs> and so I started playing and then I realized I had the same song. And they kind of looked at Jeannie a little strangely and she said in Spanish, that's the only song she knows. <laughs> <laughs> this to me is just a funny story that I hang on to all my life, and how I how I could not deal with it, another language, <laughs> could not could not even answer the question properly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Anyway, but we did get along pretty well most of the time. In re regard to that but that was that was just one funny fun experience that we had during the during the 70s but you're talking about 10 years here a lot of nice things happened in those 10 years we'll probably split it up into a part one part two like we have for some of the other decades <laughs> especially the 60s yeah that was true we... so what was life like in the 70s as opposed to the decades previous well, in some ways, the seventies were easier. They easier than the sixties. Yeah. Somehow, it seemed to me like there wasn't near as much 
dissension in this in the uh, community just as as there had been before so it seemed a little bit a little bit easier that way but we weren't too much in what was going on into the world because as you see with there was a lot those, going on at home. <laughs> all those people we had, it was it was a a real uh, it was a real moving concern. Our our sons, both of our both of our young men, eventually got their Eagle Scouts right along that period of time. So there was a lot of scout activities that were going on uh, with both of those with both of those boys earning their merit badges and things like that and uh, during somewhere along during that period of time the the Salt Lake Council of the Boy Scouts asked Don to help them to be a fundraiser and see if he could do some things to help them uh, raise money so that they could improve their scout camps and things like that. It's always need for money, but Don decided to that a good way to make money would be to hold an auction, and so he was trying just within just within like our own neighborhood and and small area there to make a a fundraiser and to make an auction and so he got items and then he would invite people over and teach them how to do an auction and uh, I thought this was really interesting because we would do it in our in our living room, we did it several times. He'd invite different people over, and then we'd have these small gifts around sitting sitting around the room. And he was teaching them that what you do is you make a bid on these items and see the highest bidder gets the item. And this was it was entertaining and it was kind of a fun thing to do. But he was trying to teach them how to to run an auction, how to participate in an auction. And he started out with just these little just this little game that was going on in our very own living room with maybe ten or fifteen people attending. And every year it got better and they began to hold it as a as a group fundraiser for the Boy Scouts, and it got better and better until after after ten years or so of, of that going on, we were holding it in a maybe in the event center out in Sandy or in the uh, the hotel ballroom or in some place like that and whereas we when we started out we felt really happy if we made a thousand dollars and 
eventually why we were making a hundred thousand dollars for the boy scouts and yeah the scout auction now it's called the holiday auction or the holiday gala that yeah. was i remember doing that exact thing you're talking about going around your living room the tradition carried on with the kids for a while yeah and then it was always when i grew up uh like as soon as you turned 14 or like 12 or whatever the age was, you could start going to the scout auction. Like yeah, the real the one. big scout auction. It was, it was this huge deal. That's, that's so cool to know that that started in the, in the early seventies with grandpa. Like he's the, the founder of this event that still goes on. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's still, it's still going on. And they, this is a, a major fundraiser for the boy scouts and their program and we were always into the boy scouts we just felt like the boy scouts of america was a wonderful program teaching young men all kinds of skills for one thing they had to learn all earn all kinds of merit badges and teaching them to uh, honor their country and their their church and their uh, so on. I I feel like it's a a man builder for the for the young men, and it was a it was a really good uh, organization. So all of our boys all of our boys became Eagle Scouts, and eventually, I think. I think almost every one of our grandsons became an Eagle Scout. Well, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Numbering like 23 of our grandchildren became Eagle Scouts. So, anyway, that that always was a big part of what we were doing uh, along the way because we were helping the Scouts in every way we could and, and our own, and our own children were scouts boy scouts and uh, like that so anyway those were important things and they took up a lot of the time in this for your family in the 70s the the young boys and the scouts what were the older girls in high school um extracurricular activities uh what were they into well they uh, Jolene and Mary, I mean, Jean and Mary, both played instruments, and so they were in the orchestra. Jean played a string bass, and um, they did that. And um, Jolene was in the in the pep club, so when she was when she was uh, in high school, I, she would be out there in the, at the halftime at the at the football game or the basketball game, and they'd be out there performing little dances and formations and things like that in the pep club. So those were things that they were involved in. Jolene was in several plays. She was in in one production she was the an amazon queen <laughs> and uh, 
and I, I was going to tell you the other one, but I, it's out of my head right now. But anyway, Joel, she was quite a bit into, into dramatics like that, and uh, then they were. Uh, they had. I I want to tell about the sub debs from the orchestra, the the debutantes, the or the symphony orchestra would put on a put on a a dance and present young women as debutantes. It was formal dances and this was quite a quite a spectacular event. And then the kids the girls in high school that were connected with the orchestra were were uh, called subdebs, subdebutantes and so we went to several we went to several of those dances and and our our girls were involved in in those uh, wearing beautiful beautiful formal dresses and and they got to be presented in a like in a a march the girls would come in with their escorts and like that it was very glamorous and very beautiful and they ha they'd get these young men from from our ward and the other ward that were all friends together and they'd all escort these beautiful girls down the hall <laughs> down the down the runway <clears throat> that was a fun thing and then the girl our girls also were involved in uh, the big brothers and big sisters events and they sponsored these kids and they would arrange for for different activities for these less privileged children to participate in and so they were always thinking up uh, fun things for these kids to do they'd they'd take them on any kind of an activity that they could think of they'd go on picnics up in the mountains or they'd go on hikes or they'd they'd uh, uh, do uh, like make make things and sell them and they would uh, take them on little trips and things like that these uh, so that we had the we had the little sisters that they were sponsoring. They were around our house a lot too. And then we also had them involved in 4-H, which is a which is a national organization sponsored by the by the farmers especially, and they they would learn all kinds of act uh, learn skills 
they could uh, they could uh, concentrate on homemaking skills like cooking and sewing and making baskets and making any kinds of things like that or they could they could raise animals like rabbits out in the out in the countryside why they they did a lot of things like like raise sheep and pigs and goats and things like that but we didn't we were city kids and we didn't have them have them do any of those specific uh, animals but we did uh, we did the the household skills and so the girls were the girls were involved in all of that uh, then they would they would have displays activities where they would display their their creations and then they would put them in the in the county fair and in the state fair in competition and win ribbons and things like that so as a parent um how was like how was all this for you and don well don was totally involved in the church <laughs> he was he was always a leader when we first moved in, when we first moved over here to this house, and uh, we'd only been here a little while when he was put in the bishopric, and after he'd been in the bishopric for for five years, they made him the bishop, and. So then he was bishop for all those years. So the first 15 years of our lives, he was in the bishopric of our lives over here, I mean. So he was always, he was always involved in the church. And uh, his, his way of leadership was very much in, have the young people in the in the ward do a lot of activities and so he was constantly having having the young priesthood men were always uh, going out like on a rabbit hunt out into the west desert something like that or or horseback riding or or, um, and then we had this wonderful field out and back, and Don got some uh, ATVs, and they would ride them around in the backyard, and then he got some snowmobiles, and we, back in those days, we had a lot of snow. We weren't in this drought we've been in the last few years, but but uh, they would ride their the snowmobiles in the backyard and then we built that wonderful cabin up on the up on the Rockport at Rockport Lake on the mountain up above Rockport and so we had that for years and 
and the young people in the in the summertime would go up there and they'd have they'd bring boats and things and they'd go boating on the on Rockport Lake and then the other uh, in the winter time we just everybody'd bring their snowmobiles we'd have ours and their other some other people had them and we couldn't get up on the mountain to the cabin when there was a lot of snow because there was no maintenance on the road to make it so that you could drive up there with your car so we'd park at the bottom of the hill and then snowmobile up with with our food for the for the park that sounds like a lot of fun and we'd have the kids do that the ward kids would do these activities too so there was it was a very very busy time during those during those years we had and ruth i believe was born um in this in the early 70s as well or yeah 1973 yeah so you had 73 might have been my mom would have been 18 in 73 so you would have had a my mom jean at 18 graduating high school and then kids in every age range down to newborn in your household in the 70s that's true that's exactly true and with 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 grandpa working in the church and in, in his business is you were like the full-time parent of <laughs> of the whole gaggle <laughs> is that about right well there was a lot there was a lot to that but i don't but our daddy don was very much involved with the kids so it wasn't it wasn't like i had to do it all alone but but uh, it was just that this was another another facet another phase of what was going on and and we were all just all in it together he was he was a hands-on dad and and he, like I say, he took us on these trips, like that one to Mexico and things like that. It was always there was always something going on, and it was a very, very busy, busy, busy time, and a time that I really enjoyed. This was a real happy time for me, with all with all these kids doing all these things that the kids were involved in and doing, and and. Uh, so much so much going on so what advice would you have for parents of children coming into adolescence uh just getting into junior high and high school and the teenage age that you spent the 70s are are you talking about advice to parents yeah advice to parents for this question Okay. Well, the main thing I just I just think it's so important that parents just enjoy their kids. I think those those are precious years and I've heard of a lot of I've heard a lot that parents have a hard time with those years and when their kids are teenagers and like that. But 
if we can just remember that our job is to turn dependent children into independent adults. If we could just remember that and just practice that as you go along, respect their independence when they want to when they want to have it become evident and that's what their job their job is to turn into independent adults and so of course they're going to to beat against the restrictions and move move forward as best they can because that's their job that's what they're they're trying to do what they're they're trying to become uh, an independent adult and our parents have a tendency to try to keep them dependent children and that's that's not what we want and so we try to teach them as many things as we can to become independent and let them let them experience their their failures as well as their successes. They learn from both, <laughs> and uh, but mainly just enjoy them. I don't know. I think I think that those years went by way too fast. They were wonderful years, and they went by really fast. Now that I'm aged and gray, I like to think back on those times and remember when we all had all this energy and and could do all these things and did them. We, uh, I've named, I've named a lot of different kinds of activities that our kids were involved in and there was something going on all the time. On purpose, like you, you wanted Deliberately, it to be that way. Yeah deliberately and teaching them to be teaching several of our kids in their in their uh, teenage years were were counselors in the in these programs for youth uh, when they were barely more than youth themselves <laughs> they they had been allowed to think for themselves and learn and these things and Jeannie, Jeannie and Evan both were counselors with uh, troubled youth and they took them on survival trips out in the desert things like that all kinds of activities Jolene and Mary each were counselors in the in the young at young women's girls camps all summer long when they were when they were in in high school and and soon thereafter these those were activities in which they were giving back oh and then the and then the big sisters they were big sisters to these, uh, to these underprivileged kids, and took them on all kinds of activities. There were a lot of things that they were doing, that were, that were, returning back. 
the th kinds of things that they had been taught. I love well, that. There's a lot of there's a lot to think about in all of this. That that day that uh, I went for Jeannie's graduation from high school was about three weeks before baby sister was born. <laughs> I don't know whether very many of the moms that were, had a graduate, graduate coming across the stage were, were expecting a new baby within the next few weeks, but, but I was. <laughs> so my next question is, what advice do you have for adolescents, teenagers, young and, and uh, I guess old for teenagers is 19, but like uh, teenagers at the beginning and end of their teen years, what, adv what advice do you have for them? Give your, pa your parents a break. <laughs> Realize that they only have your best interest at heart, even though you think they're being too, they're clamping down too hard on you. <laughs> Good advice. <laughs> kind of realize that they, that they're, that they're trying to, trying to do their job. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Grandma, is there anything else about this period of, of the first half of the 70s that you would like to share today? Well, along in, along in now, we started to get things like the internet, the, what do you call those things? Computers. Computers. <laughs> Personal computers. We already knew about computers that could that could make big calculations and and these computers sometimes filled a, a whole room or sometimes sometimes a whole building well we still have computers that are that big but now they're able to put people on the moon and things like that and uh, these kind of things um the moon landing was another one we'll talk about that next time We've talked about it in the past, the the moon landing. Oh, oh that was yeah. part of our sixties. Right, it was right. sixty nine, so it was like yeah. just barely part of the sixties. <laughs> right, right. Anyway, I, I who grew up in the in the days when they made their calculations with a slide rule. You probably don't even know what a slide rule is. I confess I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was a very complicated ruler that had all kinds of things on it, and you could pull it out, and it would line certain calculations up for you. Anyway, I grew up in, in those kind of days, and was able to just ease myself into the days when when the uh, computer came into being and then a computer became a personal item you could have one in your house we had we had an atari the video game console 
No, a computer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this shows my ignorance. The same company, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. I I didn't know they actually did computers first, so that that shows they, my area of interest. <laughs> and this this was a simple a very simple computer, but it was one that you could have in your home. And uh we started out with an Atari and then I paid $5,000 to get an IBM one of those years in wow. there. Wow, $5,000 in the 70s. I wonder, I wonder what that would be today. What did you use it for? The kind of things I use it for today. It was very, very similar, but uh, but just the newest thing, you know, the best, the best thing. And it cost that much to get one that you could have in your house. That was more than an Atari, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it it was a it was a a word processor and and a a calculator the kind that could you could keep your I can't remember if that would do the the bank uh your your bank account or not I can't remember when we got into that. I do remember when when we started out with Don's business and he had so many checks coming in and going out all the time and we were trying to keep track of that, trying to keep that straight. And uh, I remember having, having those teenage boys spread that, spread all those checks out all over the all over the office floor here and set, from everyone paying rent set them in alf- set them in uh, numerical order so that i could check them off and and reconcile the bank statement and you can't even imagine having to do that today that these things are we went right through that and and it was gone and now you it's all done automatically on the on the computer and thank goodness too <laughs> well i should say but people you'd have to be around the age that i am to re- remember the transition between doing it all by hand and don had a big business going on and i was trying to reconcile that bank statement every month and there were hundreds of checks hundreds of checks that had to be handled by hand, checked off by hand, added and subtracted by hand to make with, sure with that, pencils and pads, I'm sure. <laughs> make sure that you could do get all that to happen properly. That's just that's just one of the things that I was grateful that the computer began to do for me. Just one of the many things. And then we we were writing uh, all the time and the first book that we the first book that we published i typed it i typed it by hand i mean on a typewriter not on a computer and which book was this you can have you yours can be a happy marriage i remember i've actually read a lot of that book. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. Well, the the principles that are in that book are still are still 
applicable today. <laughs> but uh, uh, I typed that seven times. Oof. And cut and paste, you know, we decide to adjust something. Cut and paste meant cut it out with scissors <laughs> from your manuscript and, and paste, paste it, it with, with glue. glue. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Because, see, we don't even know today what things like cut and paste really mean. Yeah. Or like when you cut something, it goes to your clipboard in the computer. Yeah. We just think uh, that's what they call it. But no, it, you would cut something, put it on a clipboard, <laughs> move it to where you want. It's it's so fun. Like, I mean, I, I don't remember anything different, but, like, yeah. it's it's very fun and cool to learn where it actually comes from. Well, one of, I can't remember if we said this before or not, but recently one of my kids was asking asking me a question about, about the olden days, and I said, well, this was in the days before we had plastic. And they said, what? <laughs> there was a day when you didn't have plastic? <laughs> I actually, when you mentioned that, I had to look it up. Uh, it That was not that long ago. <laughs> all right. Well, Grandma, thank you so much for sharing all of your wonderful stories today. I have, I always love this. I look forward to it and I look forward. I know uh, family members have reached out all the time to say how much they love it. So thank you for having this conversation today. Well, it's very, it's very fun to me to think of, think of, back over all of these things and I have to apologize for the fact that I stutter around quite a bit. I have a hard time remembering my words nowadays, No apologies but, needed. But I'm only 92 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've earned a little bit of forgiveness for not immediately <laughs> knowing exactly everything you're about to say. Heck, I don't even know that whenever I try and explain things, so... <laughs> Well, I just, I just am really thrilled to be alive today and to have been alive when all of these things started out. I just, I am very happy to have watched the evolution of all of these inventions and all of these ideas and to see where we were and where we are. I think it, I think it's absolutely magnificent. <laughs>